HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade, from the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods, like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods, like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome the founder of Cherry Bomb, Carrie Diamond. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Carrie about building a female-centric phenom, the next Cherry Bomb Jubilee, and we'll hear Carrie's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Through force of personality and dogged determination, Julia forged a path into a male-dominated food world. While Julia entered the American food landscape as a role model for housewives, she left it an influencer of chefs, winemakers, and even businesses. Her pioneering spirit helped establish female writers, journalists, cooks, and restaurateurs as equally worthy food professionals. Julia changed public perception not only about the value of good food and cooking, 
things the pandemic have brought into sharp focus today, but also about women's contributions. She became a role model for women that the sky is the limit and their talents matter as much as anyone else's. Someone carrying Julia's torch in the food revolution is Cherry Bomb founder Carrie Diamond. Started as a print magazine, Cherry Bomb has grown into a multi-pronged media company, celebrating women in all facets of the food and drinks world. Carrie hosts Radio Cherry Bomb, the number one podcast about women and food in the U.S. Carrie's first love is writing, having begun her career as a journalist, eventually becoming a luxury beauty news editor at Women's Wear Daily. She was the beauty director at Harper's Bazaar and a vice president of public relations at Lancome North America. She transitioned into the food world through the School of Hard Knocks by co-owning several eateries, culminating in the award-winning Smith Canteen Coffee Shop in Brooklyn's Carroll Gardens. She was also editor-in-chief of Yahoo Food. A native New Yorker, born and raised in Staten Island, which we don't hold against her, she champions the Big Apple, and she champions women across the full spectrum of the food and drinks world. Carrie joins us today to take us behind the scenes at Cherry Bomb, and she has a special announcement about their next Jubilee. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Hi, Todd. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. We're excited for the whole conversation. So let's start with about Cherry Bomb, for those who may not know it that well. And I mentioned that it's got lots of facets to it. And just take us through some of the key prongs, and you can pick whatever prongs you want. Sure. We have, we have a lot of prongs <laughs> these days. That's a good way to put it, Todd. Uh, so Cherry Bomb, like you said, started as a print magazine. And we've it's really interesting how we've kind of grown over the years because it was always in some very organic, interesting way. You know, we had the magazine and Julia Tertian, who I know all your listeners know and love, came to us, my gosh, I think it was like seven years ago now, and said, would you be interested in doing a podcast? And we were like, what's a podcast? <laughs> and uh, so we wound up doing one and it was um, it was amazing. And Julia was our host for um, probably the first year. And we were at Heritage Radio, uh, the same place you are. And it really, it, it was just such a magical, it was just such a magical time to get into podcasting and uh, really be able to talk to people around the world. Um, and and bring the stories of all these incredible women in food to a, you know, around the world to so many different people who were anxious and excited to hear their stories um, and to learn what women were doing, you know, primarily in the U.S. So that was the podcast. Then the conference that you mentioned, uh, the Cherry Bomb Jubilee, um, which is a conference we'd done every year and had become... Um, you know, pre-pandemic, we had become the largest gathering of women in food in the U.S., and it was incredibly exciting. And the conference came about because, um, I'm trying to remember the exact, uh, the exact way it came about, we were reading an article in Eater, and I, I'm blanking on the writer, but we were reading an article in Eater, and it was about how women were being left out of uh, food conferences around the world. And we read the article and there were pie charts and it, it was a pretty bleak picture that the Eater team had painted. And um, 
we just thought someone was going to do something about it. We're like, someone will announce a conference and we'll offer our help with this conference. And literally, Todd, every day we would be like, did anybody announce a conference yet? Did anyone announce a conference yet? And no one did. And we decided that we were just going to plunge into the conference business with zero experience. And we had our first conference and it was about 250 women. And it just continued year after year. And we were really blessed to have the most incredible speakers from Nigella Lawson to... um, Oh my gosh, Nigella, Martha, Mashama Bailey, um, Samin Nasrat. I mean, so many people. And it wasn't, the thing that I loved about Jubilee is that it wasn't always about the people on the stage 100%. It was as much about the people in the audience as on the stage. And it was just such a wonderful place to network. And what I really realized from both that Eater conference and what I had learned, you know, over the years in doing Cherry Bomb was that so much of it came down to networking and who you know. And when women were being shut out of these networking opportunities, that meant that they were being shut out of so many other opportunities for investment, for, you know, marketing opportunities, you know, you name it. Um, And Cherry Bomb just gave people, Cherry Bomb Jubilee gave people a great way to get together, hang out, network, make friends, meet business partners. Um, And so many great things came out of that conference. Um, it expanded beyond New York. We did one in San Francisco that was just a great time. And in, I guess, a year ago, uh, this month, we were in Los Angeles scouting locations for our first ever Los Angeles Jubilee. But needless to say, that did not happen. Um, so what other prongs? We have a cookbook uh, that we're super proud of. It's recipes from 100 different women in the food space. And I love our cookbook. I still cook from it. Um, I'm super proud of it. It came out in 2017. Uh, it's a fun book if you are a real cookbook nerd, because I love I love collecting cookbooks. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are nodding and they have cookbook uh, problems as well because they have too many cookbooks. But um, the cookbook's really fun. It's I love reading head notes as much as I love cooking from cookbooks. So you've got head notes from 100 different women telling the stories of these recipes. And it's also a beautifully designed uh, book. Um, so if you collect cookbooks based on how they look, you will also love it. Um, so what am I leaving out, Todd? That's Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you the next question because you can cover what you're leaving out. You're leaving out the magazine, which is what led. I mean, you mentioned it briefly, but you didn't describe what it is. So let's go back to 2013 when you started and you were – I might have the date, might be a little late actually, but certainly in 2013, I'm pretty sure everyone was still saying print was dead, (laughs) as I think they (laughs) still are. And you, in turn, in that moment said, no, no, no. Did you see the Sever news? Sever's not even going to print anymore. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were, they had gone down to so little anyway. I got the notification in the mail. They're sending me, they're replacing my subscription with uh, food and wine, which I already get. So yes, people were saying Prince is dead. Yeah, and they're pretty much, I think that says they're still saying it. But you decided to go against the grain and start a print publication. So what was what was the deal? It, 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 you are 100% correct. Everyone was like, Prince is dead. They were saying it in 2013 and they were say, they're saying it now in 2021. But I've never believed that. I love print products so much. I think there's something so magical about print and there's something wonderful about holding a printed product in your hands, you know, be it a cookbook, be it a magazine, 
a, a, a zine, you know, there's so many zines today, but we'll talk about that. Um, I just loved print. You know, I, Cherry Bomb started in a kind of roundabout fashion. Like you mentioned, I had owned some restaurants. I was dating a chef and he talked me into opening a restaurant with him. And I knew nothing about restaurants. I hadn't worked in restaurants at all. I was very much on the writer path. You know, from a young age, I had a paper route when I was younger. I worked in bookstores. Um, I had a lot of internships at newspapers and magazines throughout New York City, dating back to when I was in high school. So I was very focused on on this world. Um, but as I got into the restaurant scene, I really realized that women were treated differently. And you really don't have that happening today. But this was back in like 2010, 2011. And I was really surprised, you know, having come from what you could call women's media, you know, fashion magazines, things like that, that women were running the food media, but they weren't prioritizing the stories of women and food in any way. And you could see it on the covers of the magazines, you know, when they would pick best new chefs, it would be you know, 10 to 12 men and one woman. Um, I just didn't understand that. So I thought it would be fun and interesting to do a print magazine that told the stories of really interesting women in the food world because we knew they were out there. But like I said, it was a different time. You know, it was a very bro-y time in food. The white male executive chef was the priority for the industry at the time. So decided to do this print magazine. I Todd, in all honesty, if if I had really sat and thought about what I was doing, what it would cost, all of those things, I never would have done it. But I think people can say the same about a lot of projects that... All that, the best things, all, people, right. are labors of love. <laughs> exactly. If we thought too hard, Cherry Bomb never would have happened. But we worked on it for a whole year um, it, it at night, on the weekends, and... Uh, we did a Kickstarter um, because it's very expensive to do a print magazine and we wanted it to be a really beautiful print magazine. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about the magazine industry today is the companies aren't really investing in their product. You know, the papers practically, you know, you can practically see through the paper. The quality is terrible. The magazines are so thin. And then they turn around and say print is dead. And it's like, well, of course it is because they're, they're killing it. <laughs> they're killing it. Exactly. So we wanted to do the opposite of that. And we started the Kickstarter. We started to get some press about the magazine. The magazine came out and it was really well received. And that was incredibly gratifying. But Todd, we had, we really, people, people sometimes don't believe this, but we really had no plan beyond the one issue of the magazine. We didn't have a website. We didn't have subscriptions. We weren't talking about the second issue, you know, but people were, people did think we were, you know, a little crazy to do a print magazine. I think there was an article that was entitled like the women crazy enough to do a print magazine, you know, something like that. I, I think there were more than one articles with titles like that, but I'm very committed to our print product. And, you know, we still, we still, we only publish twice a year. You know, I don't think we need to come out 12 times a year as much as that would be fun. And it would be great to spotlight you know, 12 different women on the cover every year. Um, but we are, we're committed to print. And I think you're seeing this very interesting um, renaissance in print right now. You know, you have Clancy Miller's uh, For the Culture magazine that just came out. You have Amber Mayfield's uh, While Entertaining that came out. Um, Whetstone, you've got all these great fanzines that are coming out right now. Um, I don't think print is dead. 
at all. And uh, long live print, Todd. Yeah, no, and I think you've described this example of a different way of building a print publication as one prong rather than this monthly that's God that actually editorially people are really invested in. But then you you have some Uber company that owns it who's just has accountants trying to squeeze every nickel out of the poor subscribership. And that exactly that, that model, I think I we would both agree is dead um, or dying. But so I was going to ask you about now that it's, you know, eight years, you're heading toward your your. 10th anniversary is your vision different but i guess it sounds like your vision was a little bit like you know if you build it they will come and then you started to figure out the vision yes (laughs) i'm still working on the vision (laughs) and it sounds like you hit that actually you put all this love into just your love of print coming from a background as a journalist but then you hit this kind of podcast right at that took this huge upward trajectory and they kind of built the brand together? Absolutely. Yeah, that and and conferences. I mean, I think one of the keys to Cherry Bomb is we really get on the road. I mean, it's it's definitely been frustrating. The past year has been frustrating in so many ways. I mean, just seeing our industry completely devastated, you know, seeing just so many people suffering. Um, But it's also been personally frustrating not to be on the road and be out there meeting the bomb squad, because I I do think it all goes back to connection and supporting each other. And we were doing probably like 20 live events a year, you know, nothing as big as our Jubilee conference, but, you know, we were going to, oh my gosh, we were everywhere, Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, Seattle. Oh, we did a Seattle Jubilee. Also, I forgot about that was such a beautiful uh, Jubilee. Seattle's such a great city. And so many interesting women in the food scene there. Um, You know, but we were going to all these different cities and having these fantastic um, kind of small jubilees where we would have different speakers tell, you know, personal stories. We would have a panel discussion. We would eat lots of great food. And, you know, nothing replaces. I'm, I'm so grateful that we have things like Zoom and FaceTime and things like that so we can connect with people and our loved ones. Um, but nothing replaces meeting people in person. And I think that had become a really big part of just what made Cherry Bomb tick. Well, and and to return. So I wanted to be remiss, and I think we've talked about how Cherry Bomb as a print publication isn't really the same as the, the, the major longstanding glossies. But I think one thing that you struck upon with Cherry Bomb is being of the moment and a sort of cool, hip, uh, in-crowd factor or stylish things too, maybe from your fashion background. But so I think in that zone that you've hit, which is part of the success, which is terrific, and you're the founder and you're the editor and the publisher, that also means you're a tastemaker. And I think part of what's happened in the last uh, year in all these different reckonings in 2020, I wanted to ask you as someone who maybe didn't set out to be a tastemaker, but became one, do you feel a greater responsibility to society in that editor publisher role than many of those people did in, in decades past? That's a great question. I definitely did not set out to be a tastemaker. That's, that is correct. You know, I, it's a, it's an, it's a really interesting question. I mean, 100% when I started Cherry Bomb, I was not thinking about the same things that I think about today. I mean, my, my focus was a little more broad, you know, no pun intended. And it was more just, I saw that women's stories weren't being told and I really didn't dissect 
what that meant and why. I mean, I knew I knew there were systemic reasons why it was happening, but I can't say I was coming from a I can't say I was coming from a, a super educated place on the topic. And the past eight years, you know, it's definitely been an education. I think it's I, I think it's been an, if you're just a human being, the past eight years have been an education, you know, just about the kind of world. Uh, OK, I'm not, I can't speak for everyone because obviously we know what the past four years were. But I think if you are a, a caring human, you want the world to be a certain way. And you don't want there to be racism and discrimination and hunger and all of those things. And I don't think anyone in media can ignore those things, and especially not in food. I mean, I think we have to remember that having these conversations about lovely food is such a privileged conversation. And it does gnaw at me constantly, are we doing enough to help others? Are we doing enough, you know, to move the conversation forward? What are we doing? Um, and I, I'll be honest, it, it gnaws at me every day and I never feel like we're doing enough, which is probably what, you know, keeps Cherry Bomb going. Um, I'd love to talk, you know, you and I didn't talk about this. I would love to, to mention a project that we worked on last year that, that was incredibly important to us and, and we will continue to work on it this year. Um, it, I can't remember if I brought it up with you. The Pass the Spatula project from the Food and Finance High School. Did you and I talk about that at all? We've talked about it a little bit, but go ahead. So we, Cherry Bomb had had been working with uh, the Food Education Fund, which is the 501c3 for the food and the um, Food and Finance High School, which is New York City's only culinary focused public high school. It's over in Hell's Kitchen. It is a, it's an incredible place filled with just amazing students, really dedicated faculty. Um, the folks behind the 501c3 are just so dedicated. And we got involved with them a few years ago because we needed a, we needed a school to rent for an event and that had classrooms. And we wound up partnering with them and got to know a lot of these kids. I wound up hiring one of the students at the coffee shop um, and just really got to know them on a more individual basis. And then the pandemic happened and the uh, Eliza Lohr, who um, is the executive director of the Food Education Fund, reached out to us and said, listen, this, all the students' programming has been canceled. And do you think you can help put their, make their junior showcase into a magazine? And I didn't even know what the hell that meant. I was like, oh, okay, sure, you can make anything into a magazine, right? I had no idea what I was getting us into, but it, so we wound up partnering with the school and the, and the 501c3 and I guess there were about seven core students who were part of the editorial team. And then there were about 30 contributors, all, all juniors from the high school. You know, and a few things to know about the high school, you know, 97% of uh, the students are young people of color. 85% of them live under the poverty line. Um, they, at the time, were obsessed with the Bon Appetit test kitchen. Um, you know, they were very cognizant of what was going on um, in the food world. We started working with them in April and the students had already decided that their theme would be trailblazing chefs of color. And they chose the name Pass the Spatula. And it's such an evocative name and you can really just picture in your head the passing down of knowledge. 
you know, it's not just a kitchen implement being passed down. It is this passing of knowledge, you know, through the generations. And they were so committed to that theme. And then Bonap started to have problems. Then, you know, all the the unrest that happened around George Floyd's murder in, you know, June, the magazine really started to change and take shape in a different way um, because these young students had been so prescient in the theme that they had chosen. And it was really remarkable working with these students and seeing what was unfolding through their eyes and seeing the response that they wanted the food world to have. And the bottom line is just they want, they want a more equitable, fair and just food system um, from restaurants to farms, to everything, to the food media. And, uh, they did the most beautiful job on this magazine, and um, it came out in August. And a lot of people helped with it, and I was so grateful um, for their help, you know, because it had really kind of turned into a full-time job um, for the Cherry Bomb team. But it made me realize, Todd, that we can't just hope that the industry becomes a better place. We really have to be active and do things to make it become a better place. And a lot of that has to do with mentorship. You know, you can't just hope that these big media companies will become diverse, you know, if you're not working closely with, you know, young people as young as high school, you know, that might seem a little young, but these students love this industry and, you know, look up to a lot of people who are, you know, the gatekeepers in this industry. And the project, uh, the school and the and the food education funds decided that they want to continue this project. Um, and they're actually looking, uh, there's a job open right now, if you look at their Instagram account, um, for someone to help run the media program. But we, go ahead, sorry, were you going to no, say something? Wow, that's, no, that sounds terrific. And I was going to say that that's wonderful to hear. And at the foundation, we know the Food and Finance High School, and they run a terrific amazing program. Right. The Julie Child Foundation has been a supporter of theirs over the years. Yes. Well, we're always hoping that actually there could be high schools like that throughout the country, but that's another huge project. But I, I was struck by what you said in that I really feel like one of the big positive takeaways from 2020 amidst all the strife is that if you're someone who has the right feelings and belief about the world being better. I think we all learned that there has to be more than agreement or thinking that you voted the right way. There has to be intention and participation. And without those two things, not a lot of change is going to happen or, or you're not going to see the change you're hoping for. And I, I think the past dispatch is such a, a great example of that learning. So it's it's coming back for year two. Um, in a few months, we're going to start on the next issue. And if there's anyone out there who's listening who has experience in food media, um, we would love to hear from you. You know, there were a lot of things we didn't get to do with the students last year just because of time and resources. And, you know, it's incredibly difficult to produce a magazine with a group of adults in a well-funded office. Can you imagine what it's like producing a magazine with high school students doing this for the first time over Google meeting. <laughs> it's not, it's not an easy process. So I'm really calling on everybody and I will personally be calling a lot of you um, to pitch in on Pass the Spatula part two. We need help with photography. We need help with food styling and recipe development and recipe writing. Um, and I just think it's really wonderful that um, 
these young students get to learn these different skills, especially at a time when, you know, the restaurants just don't have the jobs available that they used to have for young people. That's great. Thanks, Carrie. All right, we're going to come right back and we'll have more with Carrie Diamond, who has a very exciting announcement that you are not going to want to miss. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Carrie Diamond, founder of Cherry Bomb, and she has an exciting announcement for us. Carrie, the floor is yours. What's your announcement? So much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I forgot to do my drum roll. (laughs) All right, there you go. So we are so thrilled that this spring we are doing a special version of our Jubilee Conference, and it's called the Julia Jubilee. And it will be a week-long celebration of the life and influence of Julia Child. We will have panels, talks, demos, just all this wonderful content that really brings the spirit of Julia alive in a very new way. And I have to thank... Todd and the foundation so much because we're working very closely with with Todd and and Lauren and the rest of the foundation uh, to bring this alive. It has been so, we're not even close to the conference happening yet, Todd, and it has been so rewarding doing this deep dive into the life of Julia Child and just learning things that I never knew about her. And just, I have such a greater understanding today as to why Julia endures. Oh, so tell us about there's several components, right? So what I think I can't remember. It's a little chicken and egg or does the Jubilee and the print issue? When do they come out or when are they? I, I know it's a little bit of a moving target. We didn't talk about the special print issue. Um, so we're also for the first time, um, our spring summer issue uh, will be will match the theme of the conference. So it's a whole issue of the magazine dedicated to Julia. We did announce that in December and we had an open call for submissions. And if you were one of the people who pitched a story idea and I have not written you back yet, I apologize. I was shocked at the number of submissions that we got. And it really just showed how much people love Julia and have so many Julia stories. People who weren't even alive when Julia was um, continue to be moved by this woman and and just how she changed the world and the culinary landscape. Um, So the magazine will come out in um, early to mid-April and the conference, we're saying spring, Todd, we'll have a a date soon (laughs) for the conference, but there'll be so many ways for people to participate in the conference. Um, And it'll pretty much be April or early May, right? That's... It will be April or early May, yes. (laughs) <laughs> no worries. We're not changing. We're not changing the date that dramatically. It's just when you have um, 
as many moving parts and you're trying to deal with as many schedules as we're dealing with, as you'll all learn shortly. But we hope to announce the lineup over the next few weeks um, and the exact dates. And uh, I really just hope everybody joins us because it's, there's such a rich, there is such a rich world around Julia that I didn't even realize. Um, you know, just even I was talking to Dory Greenspan last week, you know, who worked with Julia so closely and has been on your show. And, um, you know, we were talking about uh, the Baking with Julia book that she worked on and so many people worked on. Um, you know, she was telling me new Julia stories and she was reminding me to read the book uh of Julia's letters with Avis. Um, mm-hmm. As always, Julia. As always, Julia, exactly. And, uh, you know, whether it's her videos, which you can watch on YouTube and, and the Julia Child Foundation website and the cookbooks and the books that people have written about her and, you know, the movie. I, I should say, officially, you can watch them on the PBS Living Channel. You can find them on YouTube. Oh, oh but yes, they're yes. Not. No, I, <laughs> that's oh, they're some not guy official? <laughs> na- that's na- some guy named Vlad in some Eastern European Uh-oh. country outside. Okay, of, take yeah. that back. I take that back. Don't watch them on YouTube then. Um, but there are just so many ways to engage with Julia's legacy. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited that we get to dig a little deeper. Um, and well, explain how the Jubilee now, now that you can't do for the temporarily cannot do in-person Jubilees, how, how just, I I know you're not announcing the schedule yet, but how, how would people engage with it? It will primarily be through zoom. Um, we did a, a, we called it Jubilee 2.0 last April, and that was all on IG live. Uh, but throughout the year, we've done a lot of, um, programming on Zoom. And it's been a lot of fun. It's, you know, there are ways to make it feel personal and there are ways to engage with the people on the screen. And uh, so it'll be primarily through Zoom. But I think, Todd, you know, you and I have talked about some of the other things we'd love to do. Um, There will probably be some book clubs that people can take part in. We might do some Netflix viewing parties. I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and is, is a way to bring everybody together through this, you know, collective activity. Um, you know, there'll be demos. People love, you know, people love the Food Network has proved this. And Julia was the original one who proved this. People do love to watch other people cook on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> While sitting down so, eating ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Well, not cooking themselves. Um and uh, I forget that part sometimes. <laughs> it's a spectator sport. just like. Exa- Well, for some people it is. For <laughs> yeah. some people it is. So uh, there'll be a lot of opportunities to cook along or watch. Todd, you can watch and eat ice cream, like you said. <laughs> um, your favorite chefs uh, who've been influenced by Julia. Um, the other thing is, you know, there are so many incredible people still working in this industry who were close to Julia. You know, like I mentioned, Dory, um, who has so many beautiful Julia stories. Sarah Moulton. Um, Ann Willen, who we were talking about earlier. Um, a few fun things that people don't know, um, like the the Baking with Julia book we talked about. Susan Spungen was one of the food stylists on that book. And then fast forward you know, to the movie, Julie and Julia, Susan was the food stylist in the movie. So we'll be talking to her. Um, Gentle and Hires, the amazing photography duo, does so much beautiful work today. Uh, Baking with Julia was the very first cookbook they worked on. So it's amazing how many avenues lead back to Julia. And that's one of the things we want to celebrate. And so at the end of the show, we'll give you, we'll remind you of the the foundation's handle and Cherry Bond's handles, because that's, I think, going to be the best way to stay up to date when the announcements are made. 
and right, and your website will kind of be the hub for the schedule and Exactly. You'll be able to go to Cherry Bomb when the show airs. You'll be able to go to cherrybomb.com and there will be a sign up for all things Julia Jubilee. And will it mostly be free and you just have to register or how does how does it work? Or how do you plan it to work? It will be a mix of uh, paid and free content. I and and so and can someone sign up for is it like a conference or you have to sign up for everything or you can a la carte and it's a menu? No, we'll make it, we'll make it a la carte. I think it's a, a, you know, a week is a big commitment these days. So it will certainly be, it will certainly be a la carte. I mean, we would love for all of you to join us for every step of the way, but um, you can definitely pick and choose what you would like to participate in. And, and it kind of takes place over seven days uh, with one or two events per day. It'll take place over sort of a week and a half because it's we the cooking demos are fun to do over the weekend because that's kind of when people are, you know, able to tackle bigger culinary projects. So you'll see demos on the weekends, uh, most likely. And then the contents will probably the panels and the the uh, the panels, the Q&A's, the keynote interviews, those will primarily be in the afternoon. And I need you, you're very close to it, so you know exactly what it is. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but if this is your first cherry bomb exposure, what is the bomb squad? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, Todd, you're part of the bomb squad. Um, the bomb squad is a nickname that that just popped up for, for uh, folks who were part of the cherry bomb community, and it's kind of stuck. Um, and now we even have an official bomb squad membership. Uh, that people can participate in. It's like an annual membership. Um, but the Bomb Squad, I don't know. I always like to say it's more a state of mind. You know, it's it's people who just love food and uh, approach it with, you know, sensitivity and creativity and just love feeding people and love, you know, taking care of others. Um, that's if those are the kinds of things that you believe in. Um, and it, you know what, Todd, I, I will tie it back to Julia. You know, it's all those things that Julia treasured and celebrated. You know, it's, it's, that was a very bomb squad mentality. So Julia, Julia's sort of bomb squad, um, bomb squad, uh, what would the term be? She, she would have been in the bomb squad if Julia was around in 2021. And if you become a member of the bomb squad, are there per- special perks or advanced? Yes, there are lots things? of perks. What's do you want me to? Yeah. Do you want me to tell yeah. you about them? <laughs> Wait, I, there's I, more. I'm the worst sales. I'm the worst salesperson. Yeah, um, sell it. It is. It's a paid. It's a paid membership. I'm. I'm terrible because I. I do like to give things. Away Someone at Cherry Bomb is having a heart attack right now. <laughs> Right. That would be salvage that would be it. Me. Salvage it. The value of the bomb. Store. So Cherry Bomb has a. There is a Cherry Bomb membership. It's a paid annual membership. It's forty dollars a year, and uh, we have um, we have meetings. We have monthly meetings. We have special get-togethers. There's a directory on CherryBomb.com that you can be listed on. Um, we do fun giveaways. There's a member profile that we do on on the website on a regular basis. Um, and we just started, uh, this was a new feature that we added. Um, we have an email just for uh, our members and we have a new membership director, um, a woman named Donna Yen, who's been our events director forever. Donna's been with Cherry Bomb for a long time. Donna's the best. Donna is now our membership director as well. And we just wanted people to have a direct line to Cherry Bomb. Um, it had gotten a little hard dealing with 
all the DMs, all the pitches. Um, you know, we are a very small team. I think people forget that because we seem a little bigger than we are. We're not. <laughs> We're just a handful of people. So I was very frustrated and feeling that we just weren't able to follow up with people in the way that I felt they deserved to be followed up with. Um, so that was one of the reasons we decided to do the membership so that we could really have an ongoing conversation with the people who who care most um, about the things that we care about and who care about our organization. Because uh, it's hard. I mean, you know how it is. Just trying to keep up with Instagram comments and DMs and emails and yeah. Well, and especially when you're a small team, big corporations have a dedicated social media team who can monitor all the face. But I mean, you need a huge staff to be able to be monitoring every Facebook DM that comes in. Or Absolutely. Things. But the reality is, Todd, there's so many there's so many women doing incredible things in the food world right now. And it, just to feel like we were missing any of their stories was kind of killing me. So this this helps a little bit in in that respect. Um, but it's also, well, if you're going to run a bomb squad, you need a hotline. That's, for <laughs> sure. so, there you go. but it has been really fun getting to know the members, um, better. You know, the, the meetings are really fun because we do networking after them. I don't know. Have you done the zoom networking yet? You mean where you have breakout rooms or what are you talking about? Right. Where they like, they, you randomly get placed in a room with a virtual room with some people and you get to talk to them. I, I've sort of had that experience, but I, I think one thing you're pointing out, though, is the advantage here is you're being put in a room with people you may not know, but you already know by self-selection as being Bomb Squad members, you have a lot of mutual interests. Exactly. It sounds like I might enjoy it more than you do, Todd. Well, I think I've been placed in rooms where that was not the the starting <laughs> point. So, um well, it's been fun because we've been able to network, um, even though we're separated from each other physically. Absolutely. So you started to talk about this, and I wanted to ask you about it to connect it a little bit better, because it's interesting to me, this juxtaposition. And I know it wasn't necessarily your intent or your desire, and you've tried to be inclusive, but there's kind of, you know, this cool factor to Cherry Bong that's created, maybe partly just because you're at the cutting edge of of, of women in food and and dealing with those issues and neglect from the past. But I'm kind of like, how does, you know, Julia was someone who I think was self-described as a misfit and an oddball. She wasn't in the in crowd in Smith. She didn't do everything that the women in Pasadena that she grew up with did. And so I think she, especially as a young woman, didn't feel like she fit in with the crowd, if you will. And so how, how do you kind of reconcile that or do not need to with the Cherry Bomb brand? No, that's a good question. I mean, I, I've definitely, I've definitely heard that. I mean, we, you know, I was an oddball growing up. I don't, you know, I was like, I wasn't as tall as Julia. I mean, it, or her sister, you know, I, I was so shocked when I read her sister was six, five, um, you know, and you, even in the beginning, you teased me from, for growing up in Staten Island. Um, <laughs> I did. Oh, it's terrible. You did. You did. So I, I still did. get that. But that's because my family, but wait, in my later. defense, my family's from Queens and Brooklyn. So it, <laughs> it was more, more and Manhattan. It was more about Todd, that than just. Todd dis- is backtracking dissing on his outer Staten Island, bias. Which, yeah, terrible. You're right. You've called me out. Rightly no, so. No, but you know, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, I interviewed for a million Condé Nast jobs and I went to, you know, SUNY Plattsburgh. I grew up on Staten Island. You know, I 
always made it in for the first interview and was never brought back for the second interview, you know? So I know what it's like not to, um, not to be one of the cool kids, trust me. Uh, you know, our intention has never been to make anyone feel like they don't belong, 100%. So I think you're saying it's a bit of an irony even for you or even something that you never expected, having been not someone who was brought up an insider or someone who felt like that, you know, everything just flowed for them. Do you find it actually to be a surprising position to be in that you you could be a gatekeeper if you wanted to? Yes, I do find that surprising. I mean, I people have referred to me that way and I, I kind of bristle at the term gatekeeper um, because I saw a lot of gates closed. That's why we started Cherry Bomb. Um, I like to think we open the gates to a lot of people. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of women in the industry today who Cherry Bomb was their very first interview. Cherry Bomb was their very first time speaking on stage. We were their very first article. Um, you know, there are a lot of firsts that we can point to in that respect. Um, and I'm proud that we we gave a platform, you know, to so many folks and that we continue to. Fair enough. So let's switch to the, the last question I have for you before we go to our last segment. Because there's also this intersection. If you go to Sherry Baum's website and you look through the covers, you know, you'll see Chrissy Teigen and Padma and you'll see some people you might not recognize, Dory. So... And obviously, in in our current culture, particularly in the magazine world, and unfortunately, in the to my opinion, in the cookbook world, it is very celebrity focused. It is very how and and this isn't just you and I talking. Any editor has to defend the Instagram followers of anybody they want to pitch to the marketing department for a new cookbook. So, how do we sort of? I was actually curious if you had any view of like, what, what would, because I, I don't know the answer to this, but what would Julia think of this like real obsession with celebrity, particularly intersecting with editorial? It's, you know, I was debating this with some, with my partner and some other people, and they were like, oh, celebrity's always been important. But somehow celebrity is merged so much harder with editorial and media than it used to be. They used to be more separate. And what's your take on that? Or what do you think Julia would say? I think I think Julia probably would have been bored with it, even though Julia, there was no bigger food celebrity than Julia in her day. I, I think the problem goes a little deeper than just celebrity, Todd. I think it's super easy um, to give a book deal to a celebrity. Um, but some of the celebrities are great. Like, I adore Chrissy Teigen. I'd put her on the cover again in a heartbeat, as would any smart editor. Um, but Chrissy is, you know... Chrissy deserves to have a cookbook. Um, you know, some of these celebrities are are really fun and great, and I'm thrilled that they have cookbooks. I think the bigger problem is um, the industry just is still not diverse enough. I mean, I get I get pitched every book a few months before it comes out, right? And I don't know what is going on, but we have been pitched so many memoirs that are coming out this year, and all of them except one were written by white women. And I couldn't believe that after the events of last year, that the publishing houses didn't get together and look at their rosters and say, we can't, we need to do better in 2021. I know books take a long time to produce, but I have also, I used to ghostwrite books back in my Harper's Bazaar days. So I know that when a publisher wants to, they can turn a book around in three months or less. Um, I 
to me, the celebrity thing doesn't bother me because celebrity has always existed. And I've always been more interested in things that are niche, things that are indie, whether it's, you know, writers, movies, music, things like that. I've, I've never gravitated toward, you know, the bigger commercial things. Um, and if you want to in food, you can seek out the more interesting things. You know, I talked about all those indie magazines earlier, you know, things like Whetstone. Um, there are so many great projects uh, that aren't built around celebrity. You just have to dig a little harder. Well, actually, I love that response. And that's really helpful to me in my own thinking. And I challenge all the editors listening to this podcast and who listen to Radio Cherry Bomb, because I think that's an excellent point. There's no problem with celebrity. The problem, I think, is the over-reliance and over-focus where celebrity is crowding everything else out. And if it was more balanced, it would be no big deal. But there's been this, this pendulum swing to you know, it's a shortcut. It's easier than finding the unknown author who has a great voice or the more diverse person who isn't going to take two seconds and do all the marketing for for you. And I think you hit the, the root of w- what what's happened. And, and hopefully maybe 2020 will will create some more critical thinking and investment on the part of publishers in a diverse range of subjects, because that's what built the, the the food media world over the last 30 years. Exactly. I mean, a fantastic example is Samin Nasrat. I mean, her Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat is just a brilliant book. I mean, I, I think you can really trace Mastering the Art of French Cooking to Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. You know, Julia was a teacher. Samin is a teacher. Um, it's a book with illustrations, without photographs. Um, they're both masterpieces. And Samin wasn't a celebrity. You know, that took a publisher having real foresight and dedicating, you know, time and money to Samin and that project. You know, it took it took a lot of years for that book to come to fruition. Um, and to think if they were just looking at Samin's Instagram following that maybe the world wouldn't have had that very special book. That's just that's just too sad to contemplate. But all celebrities, not bad, Todd. Look at the new Michelle Obama show that's coming I, out on I, Netflix. I'm not saying any celebrity is bad. I, I mean, as you know, I do Hollywood stuff. I, I think <laughs> the place that right. frightens me the most is actually in the cookbook world because outside of Samin Nosrat, the, well, and, and she's more of a teacher cookbook, but when you talk about the literary world of food and where you could name, like, who's the new MFK Fisher? Who's the new, you know, James Beard's probably not the right example, but that's getting pushed out or has been pushed out. But, you know, I'll I'll give a shout out to the Oxford American, which is kind of the New Yorker of the South. And we've been very active in supporting them and their voices and their food issue is coming out. And I really encourage people to look at this new, um, because they are finding and working hard to find a new generations of of food writers. Um, So we're going to have to leave it there. I'm going to ask people to remind i'm going to ask them i'm going to remind them after the break carrie is going to share her julia moment and do get in touch with us send us an email or voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or you can also of course tweet us at julia child jcf let us know what you think about today's show or share your ideas for future guests or comment on celebrity if you like 
Looking for some midwinter cheer? The new book of Julia's quotes, People Who Love to Eat Are Always the Best People and Other Wisdom, is out now in hardcover and ebook from Kanaf. Ask or search for it at your favorite bookseller. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. Carrie, your Julia moment. Oh my gosh. This is so much pressure, Todd, <laughs> for the Julia moment. <laughs> Why is it There's, pressure? I don't know. It's the end of the show. You've got to come up with something really great. Um, well, I have so many Julia moments. I, I have two I, I want to share, and I'll, I'll keep them brief. The first one was the first time I interviewed Sarah Moulton uh, back when Radio Cherry Bomb was at Heritage Radio Network, your home. And I had never spent time with Sarah, and she was so delightful to talk to, and she had so many fun Julia stories. And she told a story about peop- Julia's name and phone number was in the phone book when she oh, was yeah. in Cambridge and people would call her <laughs> all the time. They would, they would call her on Thanksgiving and ask her questions about food and all of that. And I just, I found that so funny and so touching um, and really love that story. Well, and I think to your comment about Samin Nosrat, I think Samin had the same thing. People started calling her, but I think she it got overwhelming in this day and age because access and information are so much more accessible. I'm sure Samin can't walk through a farmer's market without people asking her a million questions about what to do, you know, with the radicchio. So my second story is about my mom. Now, you know, I grew up in Staten Island. I was, I'm the oldest of five. My mom was very young when she had me. Um, You know, she worked, my dad worked. Um, It was a crazy busy household. And my mom did not come from people who cook. You know, I, I was talking to her and I asked her uh, if my grandmother had the Julia Child cookbook and my mother just started laughing. She was like, Carrie, you have to remember, we come from people who put ketchup on spaghetti. And I was like, okay, good point. And we would go to my great grandmother's for dinner some Sundays and she was, she was a terrible cook. I hate to say it, you know, rest in peace, grandma, but she was. But when I think about some of, you know, we had pizza night, we ate a lot of hot dogs, we ate a lot of Kraft macaroni and cheese, you know, tacos from the box, things like that. But my mom did cook every now and then. And I was thinking, in my mind, you know, I grew up with a mom who didn't cook a lot. But when I stopped and really thought about what my mom did cook in the lens of doing all this research on Julia, I remembered my mom made quiche often. My mom made beef bourguignon. My mom made cream puffs. My mom loved onion soup. And all of those things go back to Julia. There's no way my mother knew about those things if it weren't for Julia. And it really just showed me what an influence she had on so many people. Um, it was incredible. You know, I'm, I'm so happy to see Julia's legacy live on. I'm thrilled that Cherry Bomb can play a small part in that this year. Um, I can't, I'm so excited about the HBO show. I'm so excited about the documentary. And it's just great that more and more people will learn about the life and legacy of Julia. Well, thank you for that. And shout out to your mom for simply raising five children. That's an accomplishment <laughs> in and of itself, even on Kraft macaroni and cheese and, uh, and cream buffs. Well, exactly. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, 
sharing about Cherry Bomb and the upcoming Julia Child Julia Jubilee. Well, Todd, as we like to say on Radio Cherry Bomb, you're the bomb. Oh, thank you. And you thanks, are. everyone, for listening. You can head to cherrybomb.com. It's bomb with an E. And you can pre-order, I believe, the Julia Child issue. You can learn more about the Julia Jubilee when it's posted. You can even pour over back issues, something I did in preparation. And as, as Carrie talked about, you can join the Bomb Squad. And to keep up with the plans for the Jubilee, it's at Cherry Bomb with an E and Carrie's at Carrie Bomb with an E and it's K-E-R-R-Y on the Insta. You can follow the foundation, of course, and to keep up with the latest, we'll share all we hear from Cherry Bomb about the Julia Jubilee and about future podcasts. It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. And as I said before, it's at Julia Child JCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer of the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, Downloads are available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.